now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Good morning, I'm Ali Bally. A year after June McLeod challenged the Chief Constable live on this show to look again at the death of her son 21 years ago, there's been a major development. For the Crime Squad, I really do hope you get the individual or individuals that did this to Kevin because it's not fair. A new witness has told detectives he saw the final moments of Kevin McLeod's life before he was found dead in Wick Harbour. Our reporter Brian Rutherford will reveal more about his exclusive investigation. Also on the show today, tell us what you think about the night that once again a Scottish motorway was turned into the road to hell. We've moved about 30 metres since 8 o'clock, pretty much 1am at the moment now. It's been a pretty horrendous experience so far. I've been here seven hours. Do you think anything could have been done to prevent drivers spending all night shivering on the M74 in the snow? Also today, we'll be hearing about what it feels like to be lonely as the governments north and south of the border pledge to do something about it. You start thinking that you're useless. You know, you, you feel like you're, you, you really feel your life's done. And we'll be catching up with one of our listeners, Jimmy, who told us a couple of weeks ago about he how he was ordered out of his hospital bed hours before he was due to have a hip replacement. It was as if he was addressing a bunch of soldiers waiting in a campaign. That's it. And you'll have to get ready and get out quick. For once, it's a story with a happy ending. This is Scotland's Talking. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. Well, it was the south of Scotland's turn to suffer from the snow this week. So what do you think of how well we coped with it? First, we had hundreds of drivers stranded all night on the M74, the country's main motorway link to the border. Kenny Anderson was among those stuck in the monster traffic jam as he was making his way back to Glasgow from Lancashire. He told Colin Stone all about it for Scotland's Talking. So, Kenny, tell me what happened on Wednesday morning. When did vehicles start getting shifted? Uh, We started moving at just after three o'clock in the morning. Uh, We made it back to Glasgow about half past five, a good 12 hours after we'd anticipated being back. So how long was it then that you were essentially stranded in the snow? We were stuck for about eight to nine hours, not moving more than a quarter of a mile total. Um, Yeah. And Kenny, on reflection, how would you say you're feeling about the entire thing? I'd be lying if I said I wasn't tired. Um, Whilst all the guys out there um, in the emergency services and the grit has done a fantastic job, I would have just loved for them to have been out about four hours earlier, just to avoid this problem for both myself and for anybody else on the roads. Hopefully you can learn for next time. Colin also spoke to Mike Nichols, who was going in the opposite direction. I got moving probably about half past six, very slowly. 18-hour round trip. And on reflection, looking back, what did you make of the experience that you had on the roads? It's probably a life experience, if I'm perfectly honest. I mean, to sit and kind of wait for that amount of time um, it was quite eye-opening, but you know, I think in the future, probably just need to be a little bit more prepared. 
from my side, I'm probably always have the intention of potentially using other routes. Unfortunately, even if I would have had another route, I'd kind of got myself stuck in the outside lane, which was the main issue. But it is what it is. We are where we are. Live to fight another day and all that. So just carrying on as normal, really. The people in charge of keeping the roads moving at Transport Scotland said the situation was made a lot worse by the lorries which were getting stuck. As the Traffic Scotland operator Steen Connolly explained to us on Wednesday morning. Some of the inclines, the lorries were finding it hard to get traction to go up. And um, our partner agency, ourselves and our partner agency, made the decision to actually stop the vehicles, um, allow the gritters to come against the flow of traffic to get to the front of the queue, um, treat and um, plough in, fr- in front of them. Um, it was then difficult to get the, um, the, the HGVs moving again in these uh, inclines. And, uh, um, the, the extremely heavy snowfall and the low temperatures um, have, have led to the issues. But is it fair to blame the lorries? We'd soon be hearing the complaints if the supermarket shelves were empty or our internet shopping didn't arrive on time. But just like when we get really strong winds, all it takes is for a couple of HGVs to come to grief and we soon get gridlock. Should the authorities take a tougher stance and force them off the road when there's a weather warning? You know, if they know it's coming, just get them into the side of the road, onto the hard shoulder, out of the way. Gordon Carlton is the transport manager at Patterson's Quarries, who have lorries using the M74 every day. He's been giving his take on what happened last week to Leslie Damasio for Scotland's Talking. We get notice on Friday looking at the weather forecast. At this time of year, we're following the forecast at all times, like just to get an idea of where we're going and what we're doing. So from Friday, we're looking to see a bad forecast ahead. Obviously, one of our yards is based at Rigside, which just off the M74, we can get treacherous weather. Like, uh, So we look ahead to see what we're doing with our Arctic, where they're going, where they're going to be. One of the big things that we don't do, we don't bring our Arctic back to the yard through the week. The drivers obviously stay out in their cabs, which is part of the job. They've got sleeper cabs there and they stay out in them. So we look to see where they're going to go, how the weather's going to be and where the worst parts of the weather is. Now, obviously, they're saying the central belt of Scotland was going to get hammered with snow. So we've got a lot of stuff that's going south. So we actually plan a day in front. So we send our motors away earlier. Yesterday, we had all our vehicles out the central belt of Scotland for two o'clock yesterday, heading south to our customers. And by five o'clock last night, we had nothing stuck in any of the roads, eh, only because we're thinking ahead and getting a couple of days. So you did get advance warning that this was coming? Yes, the FTA sends us out good notices, but a lot of the time we're, we're following Traffic Scotland on the, the computer, following Traffic Scotland, looking at the weather, on the iPhone as well. I constantly look at my weather on my iPhone as well, just to see what's happening every day, because, as I say, it changes very, very quickly. You've got a lot of stuff moving at night. I mean, I'd have thought the council should have been maybe a wee bit in front of it, the same as the rest of us. Like, I mean, uh, everyone should have been well gritted, everyone should have been well ploughed. I mean, I'm sitting just now, we've had a bad, bad night last night. I mean, I've got Yard all clear here at Rigside, which is only five minutes from where the trouble spot is in the M74. All my vehicles are already out on the road. My road's all clear. The road's all clear out on the side. So there should be no excuses for any vehicle sitting parked up like. So is the answer for police to force heavy goods vehicles to park up when we get these weather warnings? No, it's not practical. Like, I mean, honestly, I mean, everything that we sit on, that we eat, we move, everything comes in the back of a lorry. Like, I mean, road haulage has got to continue. To me, the council have got to look better to what they're doing to control the roads and to get, do their gritting and ploughing better. 
And what do you make of the response the next day then? Police and Transport Scotland stepped up the travel warning to level four, basically telling us not to drive across most of the south of Scotland from 9pm on Wednesday until 5am on Thursday. And guess what happened? The snow didn't really arrive, except in parts of Dumfries and Galloway, where once again lorries got stuck. But by that time, East Ayrshire Council had already decided to close every school in their area. These mums and dads in Kilmarnock told us they'd jumped the gun. I don't think it's a good idea, but with all this health and safety, I suppose it puts them under a bit of pressure. That's part of the problem these days. I used to plough through the snow up to my knees when I was a wee lass. There was no motors when I was young. I mean, we were forecast for torrential weather and horrible storms that never appeared. Does it not make more sense checking first? I understand why, but uh, the cleaners and the janitors still have to go in, so it doesn't seem very fair, does it? East Ayrshire Council said it believed closing all the schools was the safest option. And then once again on Friday morning, while the rush hour was already underway, the Met Office put out an amber weather warning, accompanied with messages telling us not to drive if we didn't have to. Are the authorities damned if they do and damned if they don't? I mean, a lot of the parents, when schools are closed, complain, not that schools are closed, but, you know, it's, it's inconvenient because they've got jobs to go to. And they've got to take then, you know, they've got to speak to their employer and say, well, you know, I can't get in today because the school's closed and I've got to stay home and watch the kids. Is that the school's problem? I mean, is that not parents now treating the schools as babysitters? It's not the school's fault that you, you landed with your children to watch for a day. You know, surely that everybody should be taking their own responsibility for this. And there were weather warnings out there saying don't drive. But people still do it. They still get in their cars and, oh, it'll be all right. You know, heavy thunderstorms on the way. Heavy snow. The roads will be blocked. Nah, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. And yes, I'm guilty of doing that myself. Uh, Ken Webster. Hi there, Ken. How are you doing? Good morning, honey. Just uh, seeing sincere sympathies with the people that were caught out in that snow, including the HGV drivers, because, let's face it, they do have a, a hard job to fulfil. When you think, Ken, you know, of the time there, seven and eight hours in, in a, a vehicle, um, that is a long time. It is a long time to just be sitting there, isn't it? Well, the problem is that you're coming up to what could have been a humanitarian disaster in some respects, because, let's face it, people could get trapped in these cars for a lot longer and uh, the worst could happen. I've got a sort of theory, that I mean, I've worked with people from European countries, uh, northern European countries for quite a while, and listened to their take on it. Obviously, their weather conditions could be rather more severe than what we, what we have and probably more predictable, but between the months of October, and I think it's March, certainly in Estonia anyway and surrounding countries, they are made by law to have snow tyres fitted on their cars. I know this is not a big-time solution, I know it's going to cure in everything, but they've got to have snow tyres fitted on their car, and also they must carry chains in their car. This is maybe a bit drastic for us, but uh, I certainly think the snow tyre option might be uh, a, not obviously a solution that won't cure things because, uh, because of where we live and the unpredictability of it, but uh, I think it could be a, you know, maybe a way forward because let's face it, we're legislated on everything else now. The, the drink driving thing, which is good, and seatbelt things, which is good. But uh, I think we should go a bit step further on this, um, because we all know the, the way that the, the, the world weather's changing. 
Okay, we're not very predictable here in the snow, but uh, at least it might help a, a bit. Okay. Mm, yeah. Gonna... I mean, we, we, we always say, as I've just said, that we're never prepared for this. And how did they manage to do it in other countries? And, you know, and I think your suggestion of snow tyres is a very good one. Um, I remember when uh, I had, doing a lot of driving around Scotland a few years ago, had a company car, and I suggested to the fleet manager that we get snow tyres on the vehicles. And I, and I was almost laughed out the room, you know. And I thought, no, <laughs> it is an extra expense, but when you take somebody being stuck for those hours, I don't suppose even if you'd had snow tyres in the conditions on the M74, I, I, you know, the fact was you were backed up and couldn't get out of the place anyway. Anyway, you know, so that the snow tires may not have helped terribly there if you're just stuck, being stuck in amongst a whole load of HGVs and the HGVs just sitting there as well. But in general terms, I think you're right. The, the problem with us is the snow is just a short snap, isn't it? It's, it's about, you know, over a six week, maybe two month period if you're lucky. And people will just not put out that extra money in it. And, you know, I've got my own car and I don't have snow tyres on them and, and so I'm sitting here saying yes you should but not following my own advice Well if you've offset, just as you said before with the, well inconvenience, uh, people picking up children for school etc etc, well that's costing money as well isn't it? Mm -hmm. You've really got to offset, offset one probably quite a major expense in that case to maybe a couple of hundred quid for a set of snow, snow tyres depending of course on the type of car you have, it can be more expensive than that but uh, and the good side of snow tyres as well, I say, I have nothing, but you, know, you, you put them in the garage for six months of the year and take them out again, so you are, you are getting the wear out of them. You're getting the wear, you've got to put them on and take them off and hopefully have a garage to store them in. Well, that's, that's the thing. Anyway, that's all I was really wanting okay. to say. It's just a simple, I'd say a simplistic solution, but uh, a little bit further forward maybe, yeah. Excellent, Ken. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Ken Webster from Kirkcaldy. Let's go to John Carr. Uh, John, how are you? Good morning, Ali. How's yourself? I'm fine, thank you. So was it a, a bad time or a good time last week for the taxi drivers then? It was a very bad time. Um, although it was very busy, you couldn't get anywhere, Ali. Right. Um, the problem that we've got, and I've firstly got to say that this year... In 22 years of taxiing this year, I've got to say the main roads seem to have been looked after. We got, although I don't know how they're doing it because I've been out driving all weekend and I've not seen a gritter. I've not seen one gritter. But the roads are getting gritted, the main roads, because uh, obviously I'm sitting in the main road just now and it's perfectly clear. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know it had been snowing. But... The problem that I can see is the pavements and the side streets. Now, I'm picking up pensioners, Ali. I'm picking up elderly people who are terrified to come out their door because it's just a sheet of ice, a pavement. And it, it seems that the, the inner schemes and the inner places are being ignored. They're looking after the main roads, but they're ignoring the, the inner roads, if you know what I mean. Well, I, th I think the old story is if you if you live on a bus route or a route that has a, a, a school, then you know you're going to get gritted, don't you? Well, yes, there is. But um, as in snow tyres, another wee gem that I think would be useful for any car manufacturers that are listening just now. 
see if you converted your heater that works inside the car to blow hot air outside the car in winter months. With the amount of cars that you've got on the road, Ali, it would make a huge difference. Because every time a car was sitting at light, sitting stationary, the hot is there and it would be melting the ice. See, when you're driving around in that taxi, John, thinking away, it's amazing the little things you come up with, isn't it? Yes, I might be paying that, Ali, and <laughs> myself a fortune. I think so, yeah, millionaire in the making. Yes, definitely, but it would work and it would make sense. Just a switch that when you've got the cold air, black ice, snow, whatever, you can turn the switch and it converts part of your heat, same as it going on your windscreen to go in the outside of the motor, underneath the motor, to blow hot air. Okay, John. Solve a lot of problems. Well, as we found out on this programme, you're very good at blowing hot air. Well done, Alex. One for you, mate. Absolutely. One up to me. Thank you, John. Cheers now. Uh, uh, so do you think it would work? Would that work? Uh, Louise, uh, as uh, Louise McClure has just um, uh, posted a, a little note here, she says, it's not worth risking life and limb unnecessary in this weather. Unnecessarily, sorry, in this weather. Uh, the way I look at it, she says, if I lose my job, I can get another. But if I lose life or limb, then that's it. Anyway, if a company could be so rotten, would you really want to work for them? Some people have no choice, Louise. Uh, but take your points. And also take the point of John, he's talking there about the uh, the pavements, etc., and people frightened to come out of their doors. Well, maybe they shouldn't. Maybe, they, you know, if they don't have to go out, should they? You know, I, I, one day this week, can't remember what it was, but I was walking along the pavements and um, there was this elderly couple walking along and he was on a stick and she could hardly keep her feet and I suggested them to walk on the road and not on the pavement in this housing estate because it was the, the, the pavements hadn't been gritted and the, the roads were okay but was it really 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 necessary for them to go out Scotland's talking the podcast it's Scotland's talking, and coming up in not too far away now, just taking you back to a year ago, it's a year now actually, that I had the new chief constable on the programme and he was taking your calls live. And June McLeod called in. She challenged the chief constable on the programme to look again at the death of her son 21 years ago. Well, there's been a major development, and I'll be joined by Brian, a reporter for the north of Scotland in our Inverness studios, uh, just after 11. Uh, he's bringing stuff together now. It's, it's, it's unfolding as we speak, so we'll be chatting about that. Uh, uh, it's, it's certainly uh, well worth listening to, and, and just looking at some of the, the, um, the, the story that he's going to tell you. It's, uh, my jaws are going, what? Right, so we'll find out a bit more about that. As always, if you'd like to join us, uh, the phone number is 0333 2020 401, text 61054. Uh, start your message with Ali, or indeed you can tweet. And the tweet is hashtag Scotland's Talking. Saul's here, he's got some coming in. So what have you got then? Good morning. There's Good morning. a tweet here from Ken who's saying that there's no way that electric cars could cope in the bad weather. And there's another tweet coming in saying that um, winter tyres, way too expensive Um um, during the winter for on the roads, no one can afford them. Yeah, and yeah. yeah I, 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 I see that one, and it says here um, a few weeks ago I texted about winter tyres, and you said they were too expensive at 40 quid a tyre. I, I didn't say that. I don't remember saying that because they're more than 40 quid a tyre. 
tell you that much. <laughs> That's they are sure. important. I do. I yeah, yeah, important. I know. I know what people are saying, but uh, and also uh, that that one from Ken Beatty in Arbroath, who you're just saying, you know, just a thought on the cars that were stuck on the M74. What would have happened? And so I'll just mention a bit. Let's just go back to this. What would have happened if the government gets its way and we all have to drive electric cars? That's true. That's true. The batteries would go down fairly quickly. You'd be sitting on the motorway. They wouldn't have enough traction to get you going, and you'd be sat there for hours without being able to keep the heater on. There's a you know I'm not um, I'm not a huge fan of electric cars uh, as yet, I don't think, you know, but I know, I know they're on the way and it really just depends on uh, the charging points as well. I mean, there are some cities that you've got to fight to get to a charging point um, and there are, there are others uh, like Dundee, which leads the way, uh, certainly in the UK, as far as the amount of charging points are concerned. So take that point on electric cars in the snow. Yeah. What else have you got? There's a text in from Liz. She says that the motorists that were stuck on the M74 were warned how bad the weather was going to be. So she says it's unfair to blame the men who are trying to clear the roads um, and, mm. and grit them and keep them clear for all the motorists. As a, a, again, we're very easily jump into, uh, like John uh, Hot Air Car there. He said, you know, that uh, he hadn't seen a gritter, although he was saying the roads were, were looked as though they'd been gritted. Yes, but yeah. he's saying today, just because we don't see the gritter doesn't mean they're, so not, they're working. not working. Yeah. There's this app that you can track the gritters on. And see where they are across the country. You're such a sad person that you know that. That's all you've got to do in your life. Oh, definitely. We've got some great names out there as well. Yeah, I know. I know. The, uh, yeah, the transport minister was uh, trying to make a joke of some of the names. But at the end of the day, the gritters are out there. They're out through the night. They're out working. And we should not take it out on the gritter drivers or indeed, um, you know, because they've got names um, for them. You know, I don't see a problem with that. Uh, they're in that gritter for uh, up to eight and ten hours a night through the night, keeping the roads or trying to keep the roads clear. But if a heavy snowfall comes down mixed with motorists on the road who were told to stay off the road in a blimmin' first place, you know, it causes problems. Yes. Is that it? I've got a couple of tweets here. Oh, right. Um, Kenny has been in touch to say that the authorities have not handled the snow well. The severe delays were caused by the gritters not being sent out soon enough. But as we've said, it doesn't mean that they weren't out gritting. We've just not seen them. And uh, lessons have to be learnt from the, the last big freeze that there was. And Ronnie has also tweeted he thinks that the lorries should be taken off the roads um, when the conditions are bad. France, Spain and Germany do it, apparently. Right, OK. Well, thank you very much indeed. Keep your uh, stuff coming in. And once again, you can text 61054, start your message with Ali, email uh, ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk and Twitter is... At Scotland's Talking. There we go. Or hashtag Scotland's Talking. One of the two. Get to Till they both work. Yeah. Great. Um, loneliness. Are you one of those people who are listening today and I'm the first person you've spoken to? I'm, I'm amazed that, you know, when people, when I meet people, they say, yeah, when you say good morning to me, I say good morning back because you're the first person I've spoken to that day. People can get lonely. Well, governments at both sides of the border are now saying we've got to do something about this loneliness. Find out more in a moment. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. John, you want to talk lo um, about weather, don't you? Well, yes. How are you this morning, Ali? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, what it is, when I stay, it's in, a, in an old folks place, it's a big place. And the pavements are like seats of glass. Now, 
these, this has happened two or three days. I mean, I've been to the, I was at the council the other day about the state payments were ridiculous, you know, and they gave me the old story about the budget and whatever. I mean, there's all people trapped wherever in the houses, can't get out for their messages, and how did they get there and whatever? And the streets in Perth are ridiculous. Is it, so not, is it not a case, though, they should be staying in the house uh, anyway? <laughs> when you're old at my age, you want to get you but to see a bit of sunshine. I mean, no, come on, no, no, go, no. But look, you've just said it yourself. What? When you're old like you, and old yeah. older people should not be taking a risk of falling and breaking a wrist That's or breaking correct. a hip That's or anything correct. else. So That's you know, who, you're only being asked to stay in for a couple of days till they sort out the the pavements and whatever. It's it's not going to go on for months, John. No, but uh, the pavements. It takes, only takes one fall, and that's that's it. I spoke to a guy the other day, had his young child on his shoulder. I said, don't do that. I said, that you strip that child with it. They kill the child a little bit. The payments are ridiculous, Ali. I mean, where I am, it's just like a skating rink, and a lot of, you can't get about for the ice. It's now forming ice with the rain and the snow. It's so solid that the pavements are so solid that they, it's going to take ages before it goes away, a lot of sunshine. It's not going to disappear over a couple of days. Right, okay. Um, so you think it's the council's fault? Yeah, I was at the council and I complained and they said, well, it's your budget. I said, well, I know it's your budget. I said, but the way things are today, it's ridiculous for a city of Perth, the way it is. And, and the bus place in front of you, it's a sheer glass alley. I mean, they just take, I, I feel vivid. Yeah. So it only takes one floor and it's a hip, back, whatever, and you're in the hospital and they talk about the flu. I mean, if more people in the hospital with injuries, it will be the flu. Well, that's that's been what's caused some of the problems. The the, the hospitals have been getting um, inundated with people falling. You're you're absolutely right. So you're blaming the council. Bill McKnight says the fiasco on the M74 was down to the SNP's government's massive cuts in local government. It's always the SNP's fault, isn't it? Uh, you're going to tell me, Bill, it would have been different if it had been uh, Labour that were in power or, or the, the Conservatives that were running Scotland. How would it have been any difference? Well, he says their budgets have been cut to the bone and if they deploy the gritters too early and waste money, they will have to make cuts somewhere else. If local authorities were financed properly, the gritters would be deployed at the first threat of ice or snow. Bill, thank you very much indeed for that. Keep your calls coming on on the weather and uh, the lack of gritting or, or the lack of treatment to, to the roads and the pavements. We know that one of the reasons people say they love radio I know, because people tell me. It's because of the company. Well, in the last week, we've been hearing a lot more about loneliness, and often it's a problem that goes unnoticed. The Scottish Government launched a strategy to tackle loneliness, followed a day later by Theresa May announcing she's appointed a Minister for Loneliness. It's been a long time coming because research done eight years ago by the Scottish Mental Health Foundation showed nearly four out of ten adults admit to feeling lonely. And it's reckoned that 120,000 pensioners could be living with undiagnosed depression as a consequence. Scotland's Social Security Minister, Jane Freeman, has been discussing it with Natalie Crawford for Scotland Stocking. I think, generally speaking, across the country and across the UK, it is recognised as an emerging issue that um, impacts on people's quality of life, whether it is their physical or their mental health, but it also impacts on the cohesion of our local communities. But I'm very clear that it's not something that government 
fixes is something that we need to work with local community groups like this one here in the Hidden Gardens to help support them because they actually know best what works in their local community. And obviously we've heard this morning that, that loneliness and mental health they really go hand in hand so you can't really tackle one without tackling the other can you? No, that's right, and they do impact on each other. I mean, I think if any one of us thinks of times when we felt lonely, which is very different from being alone, lonely and a bit cut off from others, then we know how easy it is to retreat into ourselves and to push away contact, our confidence goes down, and sometimes our physical health is affected too. So this is all part of a piece, if you like, and um, we have uh, worked alongside to the Joe Cox Foundation on loneliness uh, and other organisations, all of whom are trying to do the same thing as we are, which is what do we need to do to tackle this major issue? Now, government, Scottish government, has a leadership role and a responsibility, and that's what I'm trying to take forward, but making sure that we understand that government sitting in Edinburgh and the Parliament doesn't fix this. We fix it by working with local communities. So what are you asking of people then as you move forward with this? So the strategy document that we've produced is easily accessible, uh, and it asks... uh, three, I think, or four key questions, which is really about what do you, what do you think Scottish government, more Scottish government needs to do? Who do you think we should be working with? What can happen in local communities? And what do you need to help make that happen? Scotland's Social Security Minister Jean Freeman chatting there to our reporter Natalie Crawford. And another one of our reporters, Hazel Martin, has been speaking to 74-year-old Elizabeth Anastasio from Forfar about her experience. I've always been a very sociable person. I like company, always loved company. Worked until I couldn't work any longer. Um, I used to have a car and was able to get out and about and go shopping. That, unfortunately, is all gone because of my health. I can't even go to the local shop, which is just along the road now. So the only time I'm out of my house uh, unless someone takes me out in their car, is uh, to the daycare centre in Forfar. Are you by yourself, obviously, when you're here? How does that make you feel? You you do a certain amount. You try your best to... I mean, I've got an iPad, which I play games and do different things with. I do read. My eyesight's beginning to go bad. My hearing is bad without my hearing aids. So therefore, I was getting to the stage where I was feeling I was entirely isolated. And how often will you see people, say, take in in a week, you know, will there be sometimes be days where you maybe don't? No, it's not so bad because I have carers who come in. They come in for a wee while in the morning, get me up and dressed, and then they come in in the evening and get me out of my clothes for my pyjamas and that. Um, they may be here for half an hour, which is great. Uh, I had a cleaner today and I have a shopper who comes in. So that actually is so much more company, although they're here to work, they're not here to sit and blether to me. Um, But, I mean, up until about the middle of last year, I had the only person I had was the cleaner. I didn't have um, any of this other stuff. 
So I could go for a week, more than a week, without seeing anybody other than the cleaner on a Monday for an hour. Um, Just describe to me how how that feels to not, you know, not, to not see. That's such a long time not to see anyone. Yeah, you, you start thinking that you're you're useless. You know, you you feel that you're you you really feel your life's done because I mean you're you you, you can't get into interaction with anyone and. It, it is a two-way thing. Company is, is, I think it's a very underestimated value to people who, like me who are stuck in their houses all the time. 74-year-old Elizabeth Anastasio from Forfar chatting there to a reporter, Hazel Martin, about the feeling of being lonely and not seeing someone for a week or chatting to them. Of course, anyone can be affected by loneliness at any age, it's not just about the elderly. If you'd like to share your experience, give me a call. 0333 2020 401. And what about if it's someone in your family or a friend or a neighbour? How do you feel when you hear stories like Elizabeth's? Are you constantly feeling guilty that you don't pop in as often as you should on a relative or a friend who lives alone? Are we too caught up in our own busy lives? And how's a government strategy supposed to fix that? I don't quite get it. But um, maybe we should be looking a bit closer to, to ourselves and how we can improve, as I say, our uh, families' lives or indeed our neighbours. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Next, we're bringing you a major update on that grieving mum from Wick who picked up the phone, called Scotland's Talking and got on live on the line to Scotland's Chief Constable. In January last year, June McLeod demanded special attention from Chief Constable Phil Gormley to look into the unexplained death of her son, Kevin, who drowned in the town's harbour in 1997. Just a reminder of what happened. The Procutor Fiscal told the police, then Northern Constabulary, of course, to investigate as a murder, and they didn't do it. I want you, Mr Gormley, to tell me why your new police force is refusing to right that wrong and carry out a new investigation. It's not something I can really go into detail on air, and I'm sure you'd appreciate that. I'm quite happy off air to examine the circumstances that you've referred to. Now, that call sparked a re-examination of the case file, although no further action was taken. But since then, the family's campaign for justice has celebrated more milestones. Our North Scotland reporter joins us live from our Inverness studio. Brian, you, you've got a lot to tell us on this, haven't you? Yes, Ali, good morning, I do. I'm going to tell you a story. It's an, it's an exclusive story about our dramatic uh, U-turn in things, a long-awaited public apology and a new witness coming forward with shocking claims. I heard a commotion, voices and scuffling or whatever, and then a splash. They just let him drown. Oh my goodness, it must have been terrible for this person to witness Kevin. It's not fair. It is incredibly difficult for parents to have to bury one of their children. Rest in peace, Kevin. I wish that February 1997 there'd been a thorough, proper and professional police investigation. 
So that's all coming up in a moment, but I want to first take us back to just before Christmas because something huge happened on December 22nd, but it may have got lost during our rush to get home from work and wrap the prezies and so on. The current boss leading Police Scotland, Deputy Chief Constable Ian Livingston, he got on a plane in Edinburgh and flew over 170 miles to Wick John O'Groats Airport in the far north. And in his briefcase, there was a signed letter for the McLeod family, quite simply saying, I'm sorry. Now, I was the only reporter at the meeting between the DCC and Kevin's family. And Scotland's Talking was the only media invited for a sit-down with Mr Livingston, who told me why he was there. To apologise, to apologise for, for the very, very poor investigation into Kevin's death in 1997, but also to apologise for how they've been treated since then. Um, and I've done that on behalf of policing. I'm the head of policing in Scotland and I felt it was it was my responsibility to come and meet them personally and, and make that apology. What happened shouldn't have happened. Um, I can't uh, put the clock back. I wish I could. Um, I wish that uh, in February 1997 there'd been a, a thorough, proper and professional police investigation. Um, my responsibility is to make sure if any such set of circumstances arose today that there would be a professional thorough investigation and that no other family needs to go through what the McLeods have, have suffered. So, Brian, what exactly went wrong in the first place and why the need to apologise? Well, I'm quoting and paraphrasing from the letter, which says, It is Police Scotland's unequivocal position that we fully accept that an instruction was indeed given by the then Procurator Fiscal to treat Kevin's death as a murder and to investigate it accordingly, a matter which Northern Constabulary at that time failed to do. It goes on to say, There is no doubt that basic policing procedures at this time, such as door-to-door inquiries, were never carried out, and subsequently the opportunity to gather vital evidence missed, and that because of the initial police investigation failures, and based upon the evidence now available, we are unable to present any evidence which would clearly indicate the circumstances surrounding the cause of Kevin's death, either criminally or accidentally. Now, this unusually strong language slating the legacy force was actually the product of four months of negotiations on the language in this document, uh, a sort of backwards and forwards exercise between family representatives, the DCC himself, and corporate legal advice. So, Brian, is this really about compensation? Well, it certainly paves the way for it, but Mum June has always talked about righting wrongs of the past, and frankly, no amount of money will ever turn back time. I can't put a price on on Kevin. I couldn't put a price on any of my children. And to be quite honest, I don't see why we should have to fight through lawyers and everything for incompetence of the police. We shouldn't have to fight for compensation. Money is not everything. All I I need answers to why Kevin died that night with massive internal injuries. It's ludicrous what they said that Kevin fell on an ornamental bollard. It's it's laughable, but I'm sorry I can't laugh. I can't even cry now. I've cried for twenty years and I can't shed a tear. I don't know why, but I I can't cry. So saying sorry may have been some boost for the force's fragile reputation, currently fighting daily public relations battles. But there did come a complication, and that's because despite what the letter actually says, just nine months before that, the Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service sent a letter to the family contradicting Police Scotland's latest position of no longer claiming not to have any record of an instruction being given uh, to treat Kevin's 
uh, harbour death as a potential murder inquiry. Here's his dad, Hugh. Before police come out and say that, yes, a murder inquiry was never undertaken, how can the Crown Office turn and say that, you know, a full, full in investigation was done? It, it's, it's impossible. When it was given from the Procurator Fiscal to the police to in, instruct them to do a murder inquiry, now, when the police never conducted a murder inquiry, the Procurator Fiscal then should have says to the police, well, you haven't done what I instructed you to do. Get back out there and do it. So who's taking responsibility for this, then, Brian? I mean, have you challenged anyone in authority about it? Yes, I have. Um, this was me trying to get to the bottom of that very mystery with DCC Livingston himself. There's some confusion um, with the family, and that is they have in their possession a letter from the Crown Office and the Procurator Fiscal Service. It was written in March 2017, and it says that they are certain that a full and thorough investigation took place. And that obviously contradicts the letter that you've handed them today, where you've said, actually, none of that happened. The order was given, it wasn't followed, it wasn't done. So why is that that there's this discrepancy by the two bodies within Scottish Justice in the same year. Well, I, th I think what there's absolute agreement on is that the, the death of, of Kevin MacLeod remains unexplained. I can't say if it was accidental, and equally I can't say if, if, if it was criminal. Um, the investigation that was done at, at the time, it was not of, a, of a, an adequate standard, um, but the key element now is that are there any legitimate lines of inquiry that we can pursue. If there are, I will pursue them. Um, but this case will, will never be closed. Hmm. This case will never be closed. Ian Limiston said there, Brian, what do you say on your knowledge of the case? Mm. Well, it's not really about what I have to say, but rather what this next person who you're going to hear says. Scotland's talking is protecting their identity using the voice of an actor. You're about to hear shocking claims made by someone who's come forward, and that's after almost 21 years of Kevin's family not knowing for sure the truth surrounding the last moments of his short life. I was walking home, and I decided to walk on a little hill above the actual harbour. I heard a commotion, voices and scuffling or whatever, and then a splash. I went to investigate. I saw the two people and Kevin in the water. I believe he kind of went under the water. I, I must have made a noise because the two people looked round and one gave chase. I didn't want to get involved if they were having a fight or whatever, then I probably would have snuck past them. But when I realised that it was the boy in the water, I kind of breathed in. They looked round and I, I thought that because they'd seen me, they would have saved him, but they didn't. They just let him drown. Brian, what can you tell us about this person? Are they credible? That's not for me to decide uh, or, or to tell you, but uh, Central, Bates, Central Belt-based detectives from the Specialist Crime Division have actually met this eyewitness twice now, and a formal statement has been taken by these major crime cops. That happened with the support of a social worker, and that's because this person does suffer with post-traumatic stress disorder and also other mental health issues. Great, but I, I, I suppose I'll ask this question that many are maybe asking the radio at the moment, Brian, why is it taking this long for this person to come forward? 
Well, that, that is something I did actually ask him myself, although you did hear in his claims earlier that he was chased. And a feeling of fear is something that this eyewitness has woken up to every day since that occasion in question. And I've actually taken Kevin's mum, June, to the very spot at the centre of these fresh allegations. This was June's reaction. Well, I, I, I'm really shocked. I'm, I'm just shocked. I'm really cold and shivering, you know, and just picturing Kevin now. Oh, my goodness. It must have been terrible for this person eh, to witness what he saw. It must be horrific for the crime squad. I really do hope you get the individual or individuals that did this to Kevin because it's not fair. Heartbreaking to hear, Brian, and I gather that Dad uh, Hughes also having a bit of a hard time digesting this potentially major breakthrough. Yes, that's definitely true to say. Uh, I was actually with Hugh on an upsetting visit to Kevin's gravestone. And while Hugh is disappointed and frustrated that this person hasn't come forward sooner, he is certainly trying to look at the bigger picture. For nearly the last 21 years now, we've been led to believe by the authorities that uh, Kevin's death was nothing other than a, a, a tragic drowning accident. With this witness coming forward now, it's turned everything on its head. So what do you think's next, Brian? Well, this is what Highland MSP Edward Mountain has said. He's calling for a fresh inquiry to be launched and at the highest level. It is incredibly difficult for parents to have to bury one of their children. And it's entirely right that the family do everything they can to get to the bottom of this uh, incident, which I don't think we have done. Now, there's been some new evidence that has come forward, and I've written to uh, Ian Livingstone to ask him if we can discuss this, and he will meet with me and the family uh, to discuss this new evidence, to progress a further investigation, because Police Scotland now owe them a proper investigation now in light of the new evidence. I want to leave you with a final thought. It's one that keeps Kevin's family awake at night, and we've touched on it a bit, uh, that this mess might not actually exist now if Northern Constabulary had carried out basic police work in 97. Uh, a secret so-called independent report written in the early 2000s detailed all these failings, but a copy given to the family is heavily redacted, and most of this is actually hidden behind black marker pen. And I should also say that it took the family five years to get hold of this Cameron report. And only after the intervention of the information commissioner. Seven pages are missing from a section in the family's copy and they detail all the Northern Constabulary officers from junior to senior ranks accused of potential misconduct. Now, Police Scotland did inherit this headache from the legacy force, fair enough, but what did the new force actually do about it? Here's me asking the man currently leading the constabulary. Are you aware in that report whether you inherited officers from Northern Constabulary who are named in those sections that talk about misconduct and if you are aware are you aware of any action that was taken against those individuals and if it wasn't why wasn't it? There, there's a lot of issues you, you, you've raised there um, what I've undertaken to do is with, with a fresh eye with an independent eye to make a, a full and thorough reassessment of, of all elements um, in regard to Kevin's death, both the investigation and the poor investigation at the time and then the subsequent handling of that um, uh, by policing. So all these matters I will consider and I will share uh, as far as I can as much information with the McLeod family and I've given that undertaken to them when I met them this morning. And a particular request uh, directly to you from the family was that they want to see the Cameron report unredacted. It's redacted more or less on 
on every page and even some pages paragraphs are missing or whole pages are not there so is that something that you will do? I will look as again I've given that undertaking that as, as much information as I can lawfully share I will. So a commitment made at the end of last year. Of course, time will tell whether DCC Livingston will make good on that promise. And of course, I'll keep you updated on the progress of this case, Ali. Brian, thank you very much indeed for coming on and bringing us up to date. Brian Rutherford, uh, our North of Scotland reporter in our Inverness studio, thank you once again for that. Uh, a lot of information to take in there and, and we know that we've had uh, the family on the phone uh, since then. I've spoken to to, to mum and, uh, uh, and our thoughts are certainly with them in the, this rough time that they're going through in the, the hunt for justice. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Uh, so far, we've been talking about uh, loneliness. We've been talking about the snow chaos on the roads. And, of course, uh, Brian Rutherford's uh, exclusive story there as to what's happening uh, with the case up in Wick. And we'll keep you posted as it unfolds, which I think it will do uh, later on this week. Uh, let's go back on the phone lines and we go to Les Mahigo and it's Jean. Hello, Jean. How are you? Good, good morning. Good, good morning, morning to you. Uh, yes, it's still bad. morning. I would like to disagree with a gentleman who was on earlier. I haven't got his name, but he said it's the Scottish government's fault that the drivers was kept all overnight in the lorries. That was Bill. Well, anyhow, he's blaming the Scottish Government. Who's he going to blame when it was the 74? Not the M74, the A74, when it was stuck many years right back from Lismahago to Mulbank. And they were stuck nose to tail, giving them tea many a night. And that was just it. It's the, the reason for the road is the road itself and the weather. Right. The road, the, the council workers, when the motorway was getting built, shouted out, but from Junction 12 to Junction 13, there was no access for emergency vehicles on or off. And they're going up, it rises from the Milton Brig right up to, there was a flat before, and then Abington. You're parallel about the highest village in Scotland. And they get stuck going up the brae, and that's it. It goes right back all the way. And that, it's not the first time it's happened. It was, it was a long while then, and it was the, that's the first time I've known it in the motorway. It's been smaller in the motorway, but mm-hmm. it was right back. And it's still snowing here just now. Is it really? Still, right. still going down? Isn't it's still snowing. I've not been out for a fortnight. See, you're being sensible then, aren't you? Well, I'll tell you what I did do. I, I, I mean, I'm lo- you can be lonely. That's another one. I'm not going on to that. But Radio Clyde helps because they got me a phone friend. And you just go on the phone and speak to folk and it cheers you up. <laughs> now, I get a taxi to the village because, as well as being blind, I'm disabled. I get a taxi to the village every Tuesday. And Tuesday there, I didn't cancel my taxi, I left it. The taxi driver came, said I wasn't going, but what? I said, right, but will you go to the, the shop in the village? I phoned an order and will you bring it to me? And I paid for my taxi. And he brought me my shop. Of course, you go for your cup of tea and cup of coffee on a oh, Tuesday, don't you? The cafe's even been shut. Really? Uh, aye, they couldn't get through. Couldn't get through. They, the cafe owners come from East Kilbride and they couldn't get through. So it was shut a couple of days. So what was the point of me trying to go? The, uh, the service road, the houses here, the, you could, I feel the way as the M74 running all right just now. The A, all the A74s right on my doorstep, and it's two-way traffic now in northbound lane. But it's clear, but we can't get out, I can't get out to it. Mm-hmm. And can't get, my path, they've kept shoveling my path, but, but the service road's just solid ice, and that, that's it. But you just have the to... man's no right in blaming the council, the council. And not just that. 
The council's not responsible for the M74, it's Amy. Amy grants the M74. They hire the, they hire the gritters and they keep it clear. No, no there are, yeah, there are certain trunk roads that bear in certain parts and Amy and others uh, Aye, well, look after. Well, it's in 74. Right, And, right. That, and that, 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 that's just that. And the, what happened, there was a person that said they shouldn't have been on it. They were already on it when it happened. Mm -hmm. And up there, between Abington and that, it blows straight off the fields onto the roads. And once it's up the fields, they don't get away again. And that, 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 that's just it. So that's it. So you know, you, you know your your stuff on the, the transport and stuff, don't yes, you? Yes, yeah, I've lived here, the side of the A74, for 50-odd years. Yeah. I've lived in the area for 78 years. And that's just that. And I know what it is to try and get lorries in and out and all the rest of it. But the, the, what, the thing to blame is the weather. And there's nothing we can do about the weather. You just got to get on with it. That's, that's just that. I know. I know. I know. Jean, you said you don't want to talk about. You know, you didn't come on to talk about the the loneliness issue. Mm -hmm. Issue, but I've got some calls coming in about that. Um, and and just something you you mentioned there. I remember it well when uh, you and I were chatting. It must be a, two or three years ago, wasn't that's it? Right, aye. And uh, we're chatting, and you said, "Yeah, it can be quite lonely. You're blind, and you're on your own, etc." It'd be nice to have somebody to talk to. And I said to you. I know just the person, uh -huh. and I contacted her, and since then you've been phone friends, haven't yes, you? Yes, usually twice a week. In fact, she'll be on the phone the minute I hang up to see. I heard you in the <laughs> wireless. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great that that friendship is, uh, is still yeah, there. It, it does. It's still I mean, there. I know it's awkward being lonely, but there is. I mean, I can't even look at, watch the television or anything like that, so I rely on my radio and, and the phone and that and, to, and uh, talk, talking books. And that's just that. I'm a great believer in them. I can go through two or three a week. And that's just that's it. That's it. But I mean, you, you've just to lift yourself above it and say, well, I mean, we've got family. They're all down south. And that's just it. And they're on the phone. Uh, are you warm? Are you all right? I see it in the wireless. It's 74 block. Are you all right? Mm -hmm. And that's it. As long as the snow's not coming in the house, I'm all right. That's it. Jean, thank you <laughs> very much indeed for your bye. call. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Jean White. Uh, let's go to Agnes next. Hello, Agnes. Hello, Holly. How are you? Not bad. Good, good. What's your point today, then? Uh, my point is that there's organisations out there that help people suffering from loneliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, community centres, church halls, and a cup organisation called Community Connections. Right. You don't have to be lonely. So if someone is in that stage, though, you 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 think they've got to make the first move, have they? Do you think, Agnes? Well, Mohammed won't come to the mountain. Right. So you go to them. I see what you're saying. Um, interesting, because there's another comment coming here as well, almost saying the same thing, which I, I'll read out in a few seconds. But um, uh, do you go to any of these groups then? Yeah. I go to the Young Chancers in Possum Point, Denmark Street. Right. And I go to the Recycled Teenagers in Possum Parish Church. Re recycled Teenagers. Love that. That's good. That's good. I I'm a Recycled Teenager as well, Agnes. Well, I'm putting joints come to my club. <laughs> when does it meet? I every fortnight on a Tuesday. Right. I'm going to make it a point. Sometime over the next few months, we'll get there, all right? OK. Thank you very much indeed, Agnes. All the best to you. Thank you. Um, and, and I was talking about the the uh, uh, another uh, text that's come in regarding 
uh, organisations. And let me just read this one. It comes from Joyce. She says, I work with the charity Dundee Edge Concern, and we run a day centre at Five Ways in Coldside, Dundee. Our age for attending the day centre is 55 years and over. Anyone who needs company or socialisation are more than welcome. They can self-refer or family or carers can refer as well. There's a charge because we are a charity and we receive no funding from any government source. So if anybody in the area is feeling lonely and would like to come and join us, then why don't they give me a call? And my number's Dundee 825-624. Any weekday, she says, just give us a call. That's Dundee Age Concern regarding their meeting uh, at the Five Ways and Coldside Dundee. That number again, 825-624. So if you're in that particular area, Joyce says there is no need for you to be lonely. Come along. She's the centre coordinator at Dundee Age Concern. Uh, let's go to Flora next. Hello, Flora. Oh, hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Right, so what's, what's got you lifting the phone today then? Oh, it's Kevin McLeod's case, without a doubt. Right, okay. What's your point? <clears throat> well, my point is, um, obviously, listening to you in June there and obviously listening to what the country's been saying for the last 20-odd years, um, it's just the biggest belief that um, the lengths that Northern Constabulary have gone to cover up their own incompetency, incompetency and lying to the family endlessly. We all know what happened to Kevin that night. I mean, investigated thoroughly. Primary one, children would have made a better job of working mm. out that basic ABC procedures. It just is disgraceful. I mean, June and Hugh um, will not be going anywhere soon, uh, much as Northern Constabulary would like. Hugh and June are a strong couple who loved and respected Kevin unconditionally. They will fight to the end for justice for their son, which they richly deserve. And I hope and we pray this time that they do. Mm. I, I think they've gone through one hell of a 20 years, haven't they? I mean, it'd been, it'd been so easy for them just to say, oh, well, we'll just let them rest in peace. But June, no, June's just, no, no, you're right. No. Just keep no, pushing away. You? That's your children you love at the end of the day so unconditionally. Why? No, I wouldn't even begin to understand any parent that would walk away from something like that. I just, it just, it just doesn't, just doesn't make sense. Not in my book or in this book. But, but people are disgusted at the way they've been treated, and you know, you know, people who 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 like June and Hugh, there, they have gone out fighting, and they will, and you know, and rightly so, because that is that is what Kevin deserves at the end of the day, is respect, justice, mm-hmm. and the truth. Obviously, the truth. Um, we all know what the truth is, but um, no, I I feel for them wholeheartedly, and we pray that they do get the answers they're looking for this time. Flora, thank you very much indeed for calling. Coming up next on Scotland's Talkin'. Any other business? Oh, treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Got still got a few um, social media messages regarding what we've been talking about today. But if there's anything else that's been getting up your nose that we haven't covered so far, and you would like to get off your chest, then then let me know. Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Regarding loneliness, hi Ali, it's not just elderly people who are lonely. Uh, This comes from David. He says, people who are young or middle-aged could have been affected by loss of parents, job or marriage, breakdown. Rather than using social media to communicate, contact the person who could be affected by loneliness by speaking to them in person or by phone. 
rather than just a, a text. And uh, I get that, David. Thank you. Being on your own could lead to self-imposed social isolation. Thanks uh, for getting in touch. Here's one from uh, Jack, and he says, I'm 80, live on my own, and I go to the Stranraer Club every day. Thoroughly enjoy it. Thank you for that. We're also talking about uh, snow on the roads. Saul's been keeping his eye on the Twitters and the tweets. I have. Yeah, what are they saying? Well, Jamie has tweeted in to say, the weather was forecast, and at least three gritters should have been sent up and down the M74 to keep it clear. But... um, I think if, if if everyone's seen the pictures that were on social media and in the newspapers, um, they were having trouble getting past all the traffic that was at a standstill. That was the problem, yeah, by the, the time problem. they got there. But maybe he's right in saying that they should have been sent out before it got to that got situation. To that it shouldn't yeah. have gotten yep. that bad, yes. OK, another one? Another one. Um, Tom's been in touch to say drivers are taking unnecessary journeys. Also, those drivers who are terrified of the snow, first gear, five miles per hour, and fog lights on cause carnage. He's finished it by saying, stay in the house or get the train. <laughs> stay, basically, stay off the roads. If you don't like driving in the snow, don't do it. Here's another one that says, uh, if every car paid road tax, not just the cash poor that don't have the cash for a new one, they could spend all the money on our roads. That's from Andy in Aberdeen. Yeah, well, that's another um, gripe of mine that we put all this money in on taxes and things and it's just not put back into the roads. Just look at some of the potholes at the moment are horrendous. Uh, Here's another one that comes in from Tam and he says if motorists would equip their cars suitably with the correct cold weather tyres, most of the problems would be solved. So it is them trying to drive on snow and ice on summer tyres. Also most of the unstoppable 4x4 drivers on their summer tyres, block the roads. Also, as an HGV driver, Tam's getting it all off his chest here. Also, as an HGV driver, I am going to have my wages paid. Am I going to have my wages paid? That's it. If I can't get on the road to do my job. Thank you. Thank you for that. Right. You got another one? One more. Simply says, how about drivers check the weather before travelling? Well, that'd be novel, wouldn't it? You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'.